0: Amen. All right, man, dude, that's very inspiring. Thank you. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to start off with a, another article, and I want to read it to you. And this is from a scientist, and the article is actually entitled "Get This: Evolution Sticker Shock." That's right, Tom. Imagine the shock! Imagine the shock, Tom, in learning that in Cobb County, Georgia, the school district had put stickers on biology textbooks declaring evolution is a theory, not a fact. What's wrong with that? Why is that a shock? Isn't that what they say? They say, "Oh, it's just a theory." but they teach it and promote it like it is a fact. See, that's the hypocrisy, okay? But imagine that shock. This, he says, this scientist, he says, listen, this is not just a shot across the bow of modern scientific thought. It's a body blow right smack in the middle of our double helix. This science humor, I guess, whatever, anyway. He said those who won the battle for the stickers in Georgia and who are making uh, similar efforts around the United States, he said, would claim the scientific validity for something they call intelligent design. Okay, he says, uh, this theory holds that biologically life is so irreducibly complex. It cannot be explained by natural selection acting over on DNA over millions of years and must therefore be the product of an intelligent designer, namely God. Once again, turn to somebody and look at him and say, Uh oh, duh. Okay, that's right. That's the conclusion. He says, but despite the obvious objection that intelligent design is not science, he says, excuse me. He said, the proponents have been able to gain traction. According to a report in Science Magazine, proposals to encourage the teaching of creationism have actually advanced. Right now, evolution, he says, is a major component of our country's national science education standards and our SAT system. He says, are we prepared to imagine a science curriculum that dilutes or eliminates the unifying principle of biology in the service of non-scientific ideology? He said, those stickers are a worrisome step in that direction. Allowing personal and non-scientific ideology, says it again, into our classrooms would do profound damage. Listen, to the future of science and medicine. If those stickers stay in there, the world is going to blow up as we know it. Isn't that what he's saying? For what? For putting a sticker in there that just simply says, hey, kids, evolution is a theory, not a fact. And yet the world's going to blow up. Why would you throw such a big pitch about that? Why are you so alarmed about that? Why are you threatening that the world's going to blow up in essence just by putting a sticker in there, uh, repeating what you have been telling us? Oh, it's just a theory, not a fact. Okay. Uh, why are you afraid of it? Why are you afraid of something to the contrary? Okay. But the reason why I bring that up again, because once again, you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough people will believe it. Okay. And what did he say? He said that, listen, intelligent design is not scientific. And yet in our study, okay, in just the last couple of weeks, when we're looking at the evidence for intelligent design, what are we dealing with? Science. So how is that not scientific? Okay. So why do people believe that intelligent design is not science? Because they repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough. Okay. And yet that's all we're dealing with. That's the hypocrisy. Now when you flip it around, even more hypocritical uh, is it's often the evolutionists who gets their science wrong. Okay, and once more, just real quickly, before we begin, uh, I want to give another update on the Bill Nye uh, science guy in the Ken Ham debate. And last week we saw that uh, he's got some things wrong. Uh, a lot wrong, actually. And we just dealt with one. And the last one we dealt with was the uh, fossils. And what he said, if you recall, he said that if we could just find one fossil, one fossil out of place, that would change the world. Well, guess what? The world's been changed. Because we saw, we find all kinds of fossils out of order, of their evolutionary order. We find even human remains mixed in with dinosaur remains. How do you explain that one, Lucy? Right? I mean, so it doesn't even work. It's, It's a bunch of baloney, okay? But that's the tip of the iceberg. It goes on to say this. If the theory of evolution was actually true, there would be millions upon millions of transitional fossils... In rock layers, showing the development of one species into another. Because that's what they say, right? You start off down here at the bottom and slowly evolve over millions and millions of years. And this is what we see in the fossil record, in the dirt, into a higher evolved uh, species like we have uh, today. Okay? But guess what we find? Nothing. And let me explain just quickly about how big of a lie this is. This is the crux of evolution. Okay? Believe it or not, evolutionists believe, uh, and what have you and I believe, that the rat actually over millions of years turned into the bat. Yeah. Okay. No, okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine. Okay? But let's put it to the test. Okay? And this I'm going to explain transitional fossils, okay, and how ridiculous this is. Stop and think about how many transitions this rat would have to go through, I don't care, a million billion years, in order for it to turn into a bat. How many guys would say that a rat is different than a bat? Okay? Right? So you think about it. I mean, just the first thing. I mean, how do you just wake up one day and say, I I just, I'm going to, I'm going to turn into something else, right? And so you start off with this rat and he's got four legs, but somehow two of those legs, the front ones, uh, are going to have to turn into wings. Now, how does that happen? How do you even get that thing started? How do you wake up one day and say uh, uh, what what, or do you hire a truck to run over your uh, little mouse hand and squish it to flatten it out? And it's starting to become a wing. And then just keep running over it with the steamroller and it gets wider and wider. But, of course, over millions of years. And then you've got to do the exact same thing to the other side, right? And somehow you can get that going and, and somehow uh, survive. Oh, and by the way, somewhere along that scenario, um, you're going to have half wing and half arm, which means you can't run and you can't fly. You just sit there. And so how many guys would say that rats that just sit there probably die and don't have babies? Okay, so that's just even the halfway point, if you will. And then you got to make somehow the back legs atrophy and become useless and little nee things to hang upside down with. Okay, and then you got to lose all your hair. Okay, and then you got to turn into this whole different skin texture. Oh, and by the way, somewhere along the line, uh, you have to develop a sophisticated, we're going to see this tonight, a sophisticated sonar system with your nostrils. Okay, now even if you could somehow even play with that thought, okay, think about how many transitions there would be. You start with a fully formed rat. It goes into a fully formed bat. You would have, and this is what they mean by transitional fossils. You would have, well, his arms just maybe barely changing. And then now it's sort of getting towards the wing. And now his nose is starting to flatten out into flaps. And he's developing sonar. And now he's lost all his hair and all this. Do you realize if it were to actually go from a fully formed rat to a fully formed bat, how many millions millions and millions and millions and millions of transitions it would be going through? All right, now here's the scientific data. Do you know what we find in the fossil record? All we find is a fully formed rat and a fully formed bat. We find nothing in between. Now, if you were to look from their point of view, which would you should find in abundance, in massive abundance? Right? You should find millions of those and only two of these. We find none of those and we find exactly what we see in the scripture. And that's what this guy says. Listen, and he's listen, they know this. The only place that you can see transitional fossils is in the textbooks. And it's called an artist rendition. It's not science. And again, remember the whole premise here is that you and I... Intelligent design is not science. Excuse me? Your science is made up cartoons in a textbook. And you trick us as taxpayers to pay for it. That's not science. Okay, that's a faith. And yet we're supposed to keep faith and religion out of schools. Evolution is a religion. But one guy says, listen, they even admit this. And I just got to share one quote when we got to get started. Uh, uh, and this is one of the most famous evolutionists in the world. This is uh, Stephen J. Gould... Of Harvard, okay? And uh, listen to what he said about we can't find transitional fossils. He says the extreme rarity, okay, which is basically the Harvard way of saying not as zilch, zippo, zero, okay, the extreme rarity of transitional fossils forms uh, in the fossil record, listen, this is a direct quote, persist as the trade secret of paleontology. Can I translate that for you? We find absolutely nothing sh- secret. The only place you can see it is in our cartoons, in the textbook. That's it. It's a trade secret. In other words, it's a bunch of baloney. It's not science. It only exists in the caricatures. That's not science. And again, the irony is, what do we see? He says what the fossil record does teach us, what the evidence shows is contrast to the theory of evolution is that increasingly complex life forms appear fully formed in the fossil record just as if they were put there by a creator. In other words, all we find is a fully formed rat and a fully formed bat. Nothing in between. It's a bunch of baloney. If you want to believe that, hey, go get your own school. Uh, You pay for it yourself. Why do I got to pay for that baloney? Okay, it's all designed to suppress the truth about God's existence, to brainwash people into thinking that He doesn't exist, so they can control mankind heading towards the Antichrist kingdom and get people to deny God because they don't want there to be a God. Because if God is, as we saw before, real, then He's bigger than us uh, and He makes the rules, and we better find out what He wants and get busy doing them. But see, they don't want there to be rules. They want to be God. They want to be the ones in control, and uh, they don't want there to be God so they can do whatever they want. Okay, now the problem we've been seeing in our study is those who are doing this, as the scripture says, they're suppressing the truth about God's existence. We're seeing that alive right now today in a multitude of ways in our school, in the media, etc., etc., in the university. Okay, but the Bible is very clear: those who suppress the truth about God's uh, existence are storing up what wrath. wrath. And how many guys would say that's not a good thing to do? Okay, store up something else, store up jelly beans or something, but don't store up God's wrath. Okay, and so therefore, we're going to continue our study. We're going to take a uh, more look at the witness of God's uh, wonderful creation. okay. And again, what we're doing is we're taking a look at all the different evidences that God's given us of His handiwork okay, uh, in creation. Of course, we're looking at the first one is the evidence of an intelligent creation, i.e. intelligent design. okay. And so far, we've already seen in our journey from the telescope uh, to the microscope, we saw the evidence of an intelligent creator uh, through the universe. And then if you were here uh, last week, we saw the evidence of the intelligence through the solar system and the human body. Okay, And there we just saw 14, there's tons more, but obviously you've got to stop somewhere, uh, with, of our solar system, our human bodies, which clearly showed, based on the scientific data, that's all we were looking at, scientific data, that clearly showed that our bodies not only uh, were, but they had to be intelligently designed by an intelligent creator. Why? Because if you see design in something, like a watch, what's the logical conclusion? It didn't pop here out of chance. I see no record in the fossil record of transitional fossils of this watch. Well, see, it really started out as just a piece of plastic, Tom, from a bottle that somebody threw away. But over millions and millions of years, that plastic whittled down, and at first the casing came about. And then after a lightning bolt and sticks got together, the gears slowly formed together, and the... Right? It's baloney. No, it's a fully formed watch and somebody designed it. That's based on what we see today. Okay, but we're going to continue on once again. And this time we're going to deal with the evidence of the animal kingdom. Let's all say this in preference to the incredible animation I have going for you tonight. Moo. Huh? That's music to my ears. But uh, we're going to see once again, where did the animal kingdom come from? Now, hopefully you get the right answer on this. It's pretty obvious. It came from God. Okay, but let's take a look at his word. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Let's take a look at where all the animals came from, okay? Uh, Just by way uh, of our study. Genesis chapter 1. If you find uh, the first page of the Bible, what do you do? Stay there. there, Unless, of course, you have large print Bibles. It might be page 2 or 3, depending on your font size. As I kill more time as you turn there. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. Let's take a look at where the animals came from, okay? And we know this, but again, our society is attacking this account. And as we read this, guys, this isn't just something basic, oh yeah, I know this. But you need to understand, if I can't take the first page of the Bible literally, why should I uh, take any page of the Bible literally? If I can't take this literally that God is the one who in one day as we're going to see created the animals and all of creation was created in six literal days, then why should I take John 3:16 literally? Why should I take a John 14:6 literally? Hey, why should I take passages where Jesus says, "I'll tell you whom you should fear. You should fear the one who could throw your body and soul into hell." Why should I even be afraid of hell? Maybe that's not real. Maybe that's you see what the problem is? This the issue of the Genesis account is if I can't trust the first page literally, then logically, why should I trust anything else? So it's important to understand, you need to take the scripture literally. God gave us his word because he wants us to know what's in here. He's not playing cat and mouse with us. It's not just for the super duper spiritual elite. He wants anybody to know. A child could read the Genesis account. And if you don't mess with them, they will come away with, Hey, God created everything in six days. That's logical. Okay, but let's get reacquainted with that text. Genesis chapter 1 verse 24 says, And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And what? It was so. Okay, Bobby and I were talking. You know, some people would say, well, well maybe God used evolution. Okay, that's the middle ground. That's called theistic evolution. Uh, you, got, you got the evolution, you got the creationists, and you got the people who try to play both sides of the fence. A theistic evolution. That, uh, okay, well, uh, maybe, maybe God used evolution and uh, he still created it all, but he used evolution to get the job done. I was like, whoa, what, what kind of a God is that? I mean, so, so what you're saying is uh, God needed to use misfits, mutations, death, experimentation over millions of years, hoping to get it right before he ever could get it right? What kind of a God is that? That's denigrating his character. Are you crazy? He does everything right The first time. When he created man, bang, there was man. When he created, as we're going to see, the giraffe, bang, there was a giraffe. He does it right. He doesn't need experimentation. Okay, it's crazy. And it was so, the text says. uh, God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and how many of the creatures? All the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. In other words, that day is done. Okay, and this is what we see in our text. The Bible says that God not only created the whole animal kingdom, but he did it in one literal day. That's what the Bible says. Okay, now once again, what does our scoffing society say? They say, you know what, Christians, you, you're awesome. I'm just, because we're all about science, and science is about dealing with the facts. And what I'm seeing, yeah, you know where I'm going. You're messing up my point. Just roll with me, will you? Okay, <laughs> with my sarcasm. And, uh, uh, and so we, we, we just have to deal with the facts, you know. And so what we see is you're absolutely right. What we see is that God is the one who created the whole animal kingdom. And that's not what they say. That's not what evolution says. Okay, what they say is they say, no, no, no. Look at all the animals that a cosmic accident gave birth. Purely chance event. That's what they say, right? Completely polar opposite. Now stop and think about that. Uh, how can those two things coexist? How can you be a theistic ev- evolutionist? How could you say that God, wait a second, either God did it or he didn't, okay? Those are worse than oil and water. They do not mix, which logically, logic tells you, one of them has to be wrong, right? They both can't be right. They're polar opposites. So which one's right? Well, let's take a look once again tonight at the scientific data. Okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at large mammals, the first one in the animal kingdom. Now, right now, I know that you guys uh, are not paying attention to what I'm saying. You're looking at that really nifty graphic. As you can see, the, oh, there went, the bubble popped. Okay, now you can pay attention. Okay? It's a nifty graphic. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the larger animals, the mammals, okay, first. And then we're going to take a look at them. And you tell me if any of these things uh, accidentally birthed onto the scene. I don't think so, okay? And the first one we're going to start off with, this is cool, uh, is the giraffe. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this in the textbook, but this is true. This is actually what Charles Darwin believed, okay? He believed that the giraffe was just a regular animal that grew a longer neck because it needed to reach uh, the higher branches for food. Can we put that to the test tonight? Inquiring minds want to know, is anybody vertically challenged like me? Right? I've spent almost my whole life, 46 years, reaching for stuff. Now, if this were true, I would think at least by now, Mary, my arms should be nine feet long which would be really nifty. Now, I'd probably freak Brandy out. In fact, she probably wouldn't have married me. I would have freaked her out. Okay, but maybe I could have had a nifty baseball career. I don't know. Uh, with a Okay, but excuse me? So just stretching somehow makes you longer? It doesn't work that way. Okay, it's crazy, okay? And the same thing, I'm not only stretching with my arms, I'm on my tippy toes. So my feet should be at least, I got my, have you guys seen how i got gotten, my toes are nine feet long. Isn't that awesome? You know, it's, it's really hard to find socks because we all know this is how it happens. All you do is stretch and you grow. This is crazy. That's actually what he believed to explain that. Okay. It's crazy. But again, let's put it to the test. Okay. You can believe that all you want, but could a giraffe evolve a longer neck, right? Isn't that what science you're supposed to test it, demonstrate it, repeat it. That's science. So let's take a look at that, At that belief system. First of all, the neck of the giraffe is about six feet long. Okay. And it, which means just bending over, it could explode its brain from the pressure. Okay. Now, how many of you guys would say that's a serious issue? Okay, I'll take a headache any day of the week. Okay, so now you've got a problem on your hands. Well, how does this thing even stay alive? Well, let's take a look. It just so happens the giraffe has the most powerful heart in the animal kingdom. The heart is two feet long and weighs 25 pounds. That's almost as tall as me. All right, I'm a little bit bigger than two feet. But, uh, <laughs> and the heart has walls three inches thick. This guy could eat cheeseburgers the rest of his life. He's got it made, man. But like the heart, two feet long, this thing's huge, okay? Well, why? Well, listen to how God designed them. okay? That's not. It also comes with uh, four safety features to keep its brain from exploding while bending over to take a drink of water. And again, how many guys would say that's a pretty serious deal, okay? Uh, so one, the giraffe has in his jugular veins a series of one-way check valves that immediately closes as soon as the head's lowered. Oh, well, that's nifty. That's, that, I'm glad you have that in place. But this puts way too much blood in the carotid artery, so what do you do? Well, it just so happens that the extra blood is immediately pushed into a special spongy tissue. Okay, well, that's nifty. And that's located near the brain, and that absorbs all the excess blood. Whew. Okay, made it through that. Uh, but then, this could cause a rupture in the brain, so now what do you do? Oh, man, you better come up with something. Well, it, it happens to have it. Three, it produces a fluid in the brain that acts as a counterpressure to prevent the rupture from occurring. Well, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, I, well but then the problem, then just to make sure there's no rupture anywhere along the way, the walls of the giraffe's arteries just happen to be thicker than any other animal, mammal. And that is just to take a drink of water. And all that has to be there. And that's the logical question. How could this ever evolve like Charles Darwin said? And at what stage of development could the draft survive unless all these features were fully functioning at the same time? The first time you got it wrong. The first one time that you don't have all four of those safety features in place, you bend over to get a water, bang, your head blows up. And how many guys would say, I know you're not scientists, nor do you play one on TV, but drafts with exploding heads don't have babies. Okay? It's crazy. All those have to be there fully functioning at the same time, for this critter to exist. How about the kangaroo? When a kangaroo is born, it's no larger than a bean. It's blind, it's deaf, it's hairless, it looks somewhat like a tiny worm. It's kind of like my baby pictures. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever seen them? (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Uh, But anyway, let's go on. Uh, When it emerges from the birth canal, this baby ought to drop right on the ground and just die right there. Okay, but for some reason the baby little teeny tiny kangaroo automatically knows it needs to hold on tightly to the mother's fur and not just hang on, that it has to start crawling over a sizable distance to the pouch. Remember, it's just born. Nobody's talked to it. Hasn't gone to school yet. Okay. How does it know this? And then once it makes it to the pouch, it automatically knows it has to fasten onto a nipple, which having done so, the nipple enlarges automatically to lock the baby into place. So it doesn't go anywhere. Well, that's pretty nifty. And what's amazing is during this whole time, the mother usually doesn't even know the baby's born and does nothing to help it. Now, ladies, how many of you guys would like to have that? Wouldn't that be cool? You're just washing the dishes one day. Hey, it's time for a baby shower. You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be awesome? And it's like, what is that crawling up my leg? You know what I'm saying? Be a much easier procedure. But that's what's going on. She doesn't even know, right? And she does nothing to help it. It's all on its own. But everything just automatically works and he automatically knows where to go. Come on. You're going to say that I have my chance? is crazy. Now, it just so happens also on top of that, the kangaroo makes two kinds of milk simultaneously for two, two different uh, kinds of nutritional needs. Listen to this. One kind of milk is for the newborn. One is for the older kangaroo that's already outside of the pouch. And what's amazing is how the nipple feeding the milk uh, to the infant automatically will produce a different kind of milk for the older one what it drinks no matter which nipple it drinks from it knows it's like an automatic exchange it automatically knows how does that happen excuse me and so that's the logical question let's do some science how could this birthing feeding process ever evolve and at what stage of development could the kangaroo survive unless all these features are fully functioning all the same time it all has to be there in order for them to exist Okay, let's continue on. How about the camel? The camel is one of the most efficient conservation systems in the world. It can go without water for two weeks at a time. If we tried that, what would happen? Die, dedicus, whatever you want to say. Yeah, it's not going to happen. But this guy can do it. Okay, why? Well, it just so happens that the camels come with large bowels and kidneys that conserve water. So that's pretty nifty. Okay, but it's even more complex. It also has a digestive system that can extract 40 times as much water than normal. In fact, its nose can even catch and condense water in the air it exhales. Extremely conservative, okay? It's like a water-creating factory, okay, for this guy, okay? And then, when food is scarce, the camel just happens to be able to change part of its waste products back into usable protein. Wouldn't that be cool? Can you imagine that? I haven't gone to the store for six weeks. I'm still eating that cheeseburger from six weeks ago. It sounds gross, but it's very economical, okay? Could you imagine? (laughs) That is absolutely wild. And then last but not least, the camel can readjust its body temperature by a full 12 degrees. If that happened, to, if our temperature varied 12 degrees, what would happen? Die, dead, a kiss, once again, correctly, on the southern Hebrew. Yeah, uh, we're dead. Okay? Uh, and this is amazing because most animals, of course, and us would die in the spot, yet somehow the camels can. Okay? Anybody ever use an air conditioner? Okay? We all know that we get air conditioners only after Home Depot blows up. You know, but, but they have to blow up in succession over many transitions over millions of years before they actually come out with an air conditioner. We're just hoping we catch the transition in the right time. This thing's got something more complex than an air conditioner with the water conservation, air, the cooling. It's amazing, guys. Okay, and so that's the question. How could this water conservation temperature adjustment, how could that ever evolve? Okay, at what stage of development could the camel survive unless all these features are fully functioning? The first time he's out in the desert and he doesn't have this all in place, he's dead. And once again, how many guys would say dead camels have no babies? Okay, it's crazy. It all has to be there. Okay, uh, a couple more. The sloth. The sloth in South America, this is really cool, spends most of its time in trees. But it spends its time in trees upside down. That's a key design feature. Okay, it just so happens that all other mammals have fur that hangs downward from the top, but the hair of the sloth hangs just the opposite. Well, why? Well, that just comes in handy because since the sloth likes to hang upside down, then the upside down direction of its hair makes the rain roll off in the right direction. Otherwise, you'd soak it all up and become waterlogged. Well, that's that's interesting. Okay, well, let's continue on. Then it just so happens that a certain green algae gets onto the hair of the three-toed sloth, and just the three-toed sloth, Okay, and it makes its home there. Well, why? Well, this turns out, there's a picture of one, uh, can be quite helpful to the sloth because it turns him green, okay, making him look like a clump of leaves in the trees that he likes to live in, uh, uh, hiding him from his enemies. It's like a natural camouflage. Well, that's nifty. Okay, that works out. But then throw it around. But in the very same forest, the two-toed sloth, for some reason, only a brown algae likes to grow in him. Well, Why? Well, because it happens to turn him the same brown color as the tree he likes to live in, making him look like a piece of tree or branch hanging down. I'm sure that's all just a quinkity. No, that's the logical question. How could this hair direction and algae camouflage ever evolve and how many of these slaws would ever survive unless all these things were fully functioning all at the same time? One more. You guys know I'm going to do this. This is why it really just encourages me to share this with you. But folks, believe it or not, cows prove the existence of God. You knew it was coming, so don't act surprised, right? Okay. Cows, of course, are so cool because they they give millions uh, of milk uh, glands uh, in the udder of the cow uh, and each of it drinks 25 gallons of water just to produce five gallons of milk. Do you see the work they go through for us? Come on, give them a break. Okay. And then eat them, they're tasty. But anyway, that's right. Uh, But what's even more utterly amazing, you knew it was coming, Ruth, uh, than that is how, listen, we have one chamber in our stomach. How many do cows have? six, they actually got four, uh, six, they got four uh, stomachs. And here's what they do. Grass is eaten, then enters the first chamber, which makes about three fourths of the total chamber of uh, the stomach area anyway. Okay. And then uh, this first chamber just happens to hold lots of water, which just happens to help churn and ferment the food. Okay. Well, that's nifty, but now uh, it needs to enter into the second chamber, which it just happens to have. Okay. Where the muscle pushes it back up the throat. So the cow can chew up this cud even more. That's what they do. They barf it up out of the second chamber. let mm, let's try that again. So if you can't do the thing with the camel and do usable proteins, you know, you could if you learn to burp correctly, maybe you can get a little bit more mileage out of that cheeseburger, but it's a guy thing, you know? Make a cow joke yourself, okay? But anyway, that's right. So that's what he does. So he just happens to have that so he can get it going, so he can digest it better. And then it just so happens to get to go into a third chamber, Okay. Uh, to do that. And that chamber is the one that's designed to squeeze now the moisture out of the thing. And then that just happens to pass into the fourth chamber where gallons of water just happen to pour in. Oh, by the way, as a side note, this is your intestines. This is your intestines when you eat chicken. You see how it swells up there? Just as a little public service announcement tonight. <laughs> anyway, so so the fourth chamber, it goes in there, a bunch of water pops into that baby along with some strong acids and it begins to break down for the food for its final destination in the intestines. Okay, and here's the logical question. How could these four stomachs in the cow evolve? And at what stage of development could a cow survive with that kind of system needed for existence uh, happen if it didn't have all that fully functioning uh, all at the same time? Okay, all those have to be there. If you only had two going, you're still dead meat, right? If you had one going, you're even worse shape. Oh, I got three out of four. Too bad. You have to have all four there fully functioning at the same time. Okay, that's common sense logic, that's scientific data that we're looking at, at just everyday creatures we're looking around. And when you look at the scientific data, remember, as we're going through this, what do these people continue to lie us to us about? Intelligent design is not science, science and yet, what are we looking at? Right? That's all they have to work with, that's all they have to counter, you and I, we're looking at scientific data, and all they have to say, it's not science, it's not science. The way that people buy into it is they have, again, the power of the media, the power of the education behind them. And again, the axiom, you repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, uh, people are going to buy into it, okay? But what we see is these animals show intelligent design. Just like in a watch, you see in these animals, it implies, therefore, a what? A designer. And believe it or not, this astronomer, George Greenstein, he said the same thing. He said, is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, We've stumbled upon scientific proof for the existence of a supreme being. Romans chapter 1, yeah. Okay. He says, I love this. He says, as we survey all the evidence, all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency must be involved. Isn't it awesome? When you look at the evidence, what is he saying? It points towards a designer. That's what he clearly says. Okay. But again, that's just the large guys. Let's now take a look at the small guys as we continue, the small mammals, okay? And again, let's take a look at the scientific data, and you tell me, folks, uh, if these guys accidentally burped onto the scene, I don't think so, okay? And let's start off with the bat. We've already talked about the bat. Let's take a look at his, some of his design features, okay? Bats not only come out at night to hunt for food, but they got several interesting features that enable them to do so. Now, again, as we look at this bat, remember, the, this supposedly came from a rat. All right, so I don't think so, but let's take a look at just the bat. It just so happens bats come equipped with a sonar which far surpasses man's version of it, right? And we all know, you know, we, hey, we've got a lot of military folks here. Uh, the air base is right there that uh, Ron is probably, you didn't even have to work on a contract for that thing because it was fortunate enough that 19 radio shacks blew up at the same time and out popped the sophisticated radar system using over here. No, we designed that thing by engineers and had to pay for it. And things of that nature, okay. But this thing's got something more complex than what we can come up with. And you're going to say, that happened by chance? It's crazy, okay. Uh, in a, in, for instance, in a dark room with fine wires strung across it, bats can easily fly around without ever touching them. In the dark, they'll never touch a wire. Their system is absolutely incredible. Uh, and they do this because they've got flaps of skin around their nostrils and special uh, structures in their ears which emit and receive high-frequency sound waves. Remember, the rat somehow is going to have to wake up one day and go, hmm, I'm going to now start to receive and emit frequencies from my nose. You can think that all day long, but it ain't happening. Okay, but that's what he can do. And they emit these frequencies up to 32,000 per second, which we can't hear because it's good. You can read. That's right. We go batty. Thank you. You You got to try to work it in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, It drives baddies, so we can't hear it. Now, in fact, their sonar capabilities are so good, they can easily find flying insects in the dark. They catch thousands every night. Praise God, get rid of those mosquitoes, okay? And the typical bat can detect a fruit fly 100 feet away and catch as many as five per second. And remember, it's doing this all in the dark. Virtually blind, just using sonar. Absolutely amazing. But that's not all. Some bats can focus their sonar in a narrow beam or turn their heads from side to side, making like a sweep in the area, Okay? like you see in the military applications, and they can even find fish underwater using sonar. So here's a logical conclu- uh, conclusion. Uh, how did these night flying sonar capabilities ever evolve? And at what stage of development could the bat survive if it didn't have all this fully functioning? Right? If you're still trying to tweak out your radar system, you're running into wires, you can't catch bugs, and you're dead. It all has to be there working at the same time. Uh, Another one, the pocket gover. This guy's a cool pet. Uh, He comes equipped with big cheeks, uh, pouches so big that they extend below its eyes all the way down to its shoulders. Well, what's he use that for? Well, they act as a kind of a grocery sack for the food it finds so it can chew it and swallow it later. So it's like a storage thing. How many guys like to have that next time you go to the store? They always mess with you, don't they? I think they do it maybe for sadistic reasons. You sit there, you just want to get out of the line. But they ask you that question that freezes and makes you stop in your tracks. Paper, plastic. Paper, plastic. You know, how would you like to throw out? Oh, yeah? Forget that. I got my own pocket gopher. Stick it right here. You know what I'm saying? But uh, just to mess with them. What do you think, Ruth? You going to try it? And they'll come haul you away. So anyway, that's right now. Okay. Now, it also just happens this guy has long, sharp claws to dig uh, shallow tunnels as long as 50 feet in no time at all. He's just a digging machine. Okay. Now, uh, but since the wear and tear and the claws are terrific, uh, okay, uh, they better be fast growing. Well, they are. It just so happens this guy grows nails 20 inches a year. Ladies, how many you guys would like to have nails like that? Be kind of creepy. This guy grows them super fast to replace it. And that's not all. Crawling around on the, in the dirt is hard on the eyes. How many guys can verify? Okay. Now, it just so happens this gopher has a gland near each eye which produces a jelly-like substance. Okay. And this substance coats the eye so that when he blinks, the dirt automatically falls off. Then it's automatically re with a layer of jelly. Anybody ever work on a car, and you're just about done, everything's going good, and that dirt thing goes right in your eye, Ah, right? Wouldn't it be cool if you could say, oh, no problem, eye jelly, once again, I'd love to have some eye jelly. This is what this guy comes equipped with, okay? So again, how did these storage cheeks, rapid growing claws, dirt cleansing eye jelly ever evolve? And at what stage of development could this guy survive and continue to survive if all these design features weren't there? Oh, and by the way, as a sign note, did you know in the textbooks, they used to say these are design features when they talk about biology and the animals? Okay, do you know that they've actually changed the words? In the textbooks today, they no longer say design because if you say design, that implies a designer. And they caught on to that, believe it or not. And this wasn't that long ago. They now say adaptation. They're adaptation features. To, why? Because don't use the word design the kids will logically use their brains and imply a designer. Okay, that's another trickery that's going on in the textbooks. A couple more. The koala. This is cool. It's a two-foot-tall, 20-pound animal. Spends its entire life in the eucalyptus trees. And what's interesting is, again, like the kangaroos when the babies are born, uh, they're not only tiny the size of a worm, but, again, they, too, just automatically know uh, where they need to crawl Uh, into their mother's pouch. And then after being there for six months, they automatically know they need to crawl now on their mother's backs for six months. And again, this is all inherent knowledge. No classes. They have never once been on YouTube. Okay. Uh, I don't think they even have a Facebook account, so they can't socialize, but they automatically know how to do this stuff. Okay. And what's even more amazing is that all their food and water comes from the eucalyptus leaves because that's where they live. Here's the problem. The problem is eucalyptus leaves are poisonous if swallowed. Don't eat them. Don't eat them. Okay, but here's something interesting. Okay, uh, how does it stay alive? Well, it just so happens that the koala has a special stomach acid which neutralizes the strong chemicals in the eucalyptus poison, making it safe and nutritious to eat. It doesn't just make it safe to eat. Okay, it makes it nutritious to eat. So he has that ability to eat uh, something like that and survive. So again, how could these birth abilities and anti-food poisoning mechanism in the koala survive? And at what point and what stage of development could this koala continue to exist if he didn't have all these things functioning at the same time? So that you're stuck in the tree. That's all you got to eat. How do you experiment with that, even one time, being poisonous, to develop this anti-poisoning mechanism in your intestines? You're dead. And again, how many guys would say dead koalas have no babies? All right, so it can't happen, okay? Uh, one more, the armadillo. Armadillos have, listen, they have eyes like a pig, tails like a rat, ears like a mule, and armored scales like an alligator. Anybody got relatives like that? I grew up in the Midwest, but I'll just move on, shall, shall I? Uh, anyway, in fact, they come with extra movable parts in their lower back for greater flexibility while digging, okay? And this comes in handy because it enables them to dig so fast they can disappear in, underground in a matter of seconds. You ever seen them things? They can let you dig a hole and just. Just get out of there, hightail it from their enemies. It's really cool. They have this sophisticated heat exchange system that keeps the heat trapped in the trunk of their bodies while allowing their limbs to stay cool. Okay? And we all know that the air conditioning and heating system in our cars are purely as a random act of chance. Right? And you just, It's just a roll of the dice when you go to the dealer. You hope that you happen to catch it at the right transition of your model coming off the assembly line that this one had evolved. That it, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. But the armadillo uh, can also roll itself up into a ball. There's a picture of it right there. Uh, armor and all. And uh, obviously the armor is quite heavy. And so you would think that it would avoid water. It's kind of like there's knight in shining armor. Stay away from the pond, right? You're going to sink, all right? So what's the do? Well, on the contrary, when faced with a body of water, the armadillo simply sucks in air to inflate its stomach and intestine. So it stays afloat. That's kind of cool. Or it's got options, right? Just like your car, it's got options. Okay, Or it might decide to walk across the bottom of a stream bed holding its breath as long as six minutes. Now I'm going to go on the, down below this time. And then, for some reason, uh, the nine-banded armadillo only bears identical quadruplets of the same sex. What? So again, here's the logical conclusion. How could these digging, swimming, heat exchange systems and birthing of only quadruplets ever evolve? And again, at what stage of development could the armadillo ever survive unless all these features were fully functioning all at the same time? I'll say it again. We just looked at some small mammals now, just like the large ones. Once again, we observed, we tested, and we looked at the information. This is called science. How is that not science? Is it my fault that it leads to a logical conclusion that there's a designer? No. In fact, that's what God said he did it for. So that we could come to that conclusion. So that we could know that he exists. So that we could seek him out. And hopefully and prayerfully surrender to Jesus Christ. And enter into a relationship with him who created all things. Which is mind-blowing. But our societies become so wicked. That they suppress this. They flip out and freak out. Somebody had the audacity to put a sticker in here and say evolution is just a theory. And then they repeat the lie. That this is not science when all we're doing is looking at science. And we're the dum-dums, with all due respect? I don't think so. Does anybody get an idea of the war that we're in? And can I tell you something? It's a spiritual battle. This is not just, again, a war of world views. It's a spiritual battle. These people don't want there to be a God. Okay? Lord willing, uh, we're going to go and in, move into the next time. Uh, and that's with the issue of the birds. But before I, I leave you with this, I want to leave you with this uh, quote. And this is from physicist Tony Rothman. So another scientist. And what I like is occasionally you'll come across these scientists who will admit uh, that uh, it's being suppressed. And here's what he said. He said, when confronted with the order and the beauty of the universe and the strange coincidences of nature. He said, it's very tempting to take the leap uh, 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 leap of faith from science into religion. Right? Listen to what he says. He says, I'm sure that many physicists want to. I only wish they would admit it you see what he's saying? The scientific community sees this information just like we're seeing it. Right now, they're suppressing it, but we can still access it. And he says, and when they come across it, it's so easy for them to go, you know what, we need to start thinking spiritual now. Because we're seeing this design. And he says, I'm sure that many physicists want to. I just wish they would admit it, flip it around. Why are they suppressing it? The Bible gives us the answer. In the last days, we're going to have a scoffing society who would try to suppress the truth about God's uh, existence and hide the evidence of his creation. Why? Because he judged the world once. He created it, and he judged it once with water. He's going to do it again the second time, so you might want to pay attention to what he says. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today,